Hello and welcome to Don Father, the family podcast about the Essendon Football Club. I'm your host, Nick, and what we mean when we say the family podcast about the Essendon Football Club is not, in fact, that we're a family-friendly show, although we don't intend not to be a family-friendly show. What we mean when we say the family podcast is that, in fact, our love of Essendon stems from the one great man, my father, the Don Father. And in fact, everyone on this show is related. So I think it might be good, given it's our first episode, that we go around the podcast room and introduce ourselves and maybe just give a little bit of insight on how we're related to each other. Thank you. Well, as you said, I am uh, I am Matthew. I am the great nephew of the Don Father. You're not that great. No, he is the Don Father. Oh, no, that's you're talking about me, aren't you? Well, no, fair call. you got a fair call it. Anyway. Nicky, who are you? I am also Nick, uh, or Nicky. Uh, the Don Father is my great uncle, uh, and I'm Matty's brother. And uh, who's the final one with us tonight? I am Laura. I am the daughter of the Don Father and Nick's sister. So also here for comic relief, apparently. Absolutely, absolutely. So the one thing that we all share is a tragic, very tragic love of the Essendon Football Club. Uh, we've been members for very, very long times, uh, and in fact, I believe it was us that tragically drew you into the fold, Maddie and Nikki. Yeah, that's correct. I, yeah. I still remember uh, coming, I think I was older than about four or five years old. You you probably remember the stories, but uh, uh, I think my first game was against the Bulldogs and I believe I actually wanted to go for the Bulldogs, but uh, there was none of that. It was straight into Essendon and uh, haven't looked back since. I don't remember that story. Do you remember that, Laura? No, I also don't remember that. I definitely don't remember Maddie wanting to go for um, the Bulldogs. Yeah, I don't remember Maybe, that. Give, give us a little bit Maybe more. Maybe St Kilda. Yeah, tell us this story. Are you making it up? Maybe it was St Kilda. I can't. Oh, jeez, maybe I am. But no, I remember they were having a bit of a kick to kick before the game. Uh, and I thought that was the game. I was like, what the hell is this? There's five or six footies flying around. Oh, this, this count. Is it? And she said, no, no, no. Uh, the, you know, it starts and roll. They're just having kick to kick. They're warming up. And my favourite colour was always blue. And we were playing the Bulldogs and... I thought I'd go doggies, but uh, no, no. I was uh, straight away uh, wrapped a, a scarf around me. I, I think I was, uh, it's like a muzzle <laughs> more than a scarf. And uh, yeah, here we are, set, uh, what, 18 years later. I don't think you ever had a chance, right? I, I think your like third or fourth word was whitey. <laughs> Actually, I have got a big poster of him up in my, my uh, bedroom and it, just, uh, hey, Matt, go Bombers from Lloydie. And I maybe even have two, two or three of Lloydie, just at different stages of my life, just bumped into Lloydie, get a photo, get a signature, and, uh, yeah, he's up all over the room. The great Probably one. a bit of, uh, you know, just a bit of sticky yeah. stuff around, but we won't go into that. Yeah. I've, I've actually never met Lloydie. He's, he's one of the players I've never come across in, in public or when I've been sitting outside his apartment waiting for him to leave. Um, I've just never had the chance. Well, actually, um, this year we went to the um, 
legend, not the Legends game, the preseason, the bushfire game that they had. And I happened to be in the lift with Matthew Lloyd. Oh. But um, had to just fangirl and couldn't bring myself to talk to him. Oh, that's that's quite awkward. So, You're never going to get that chance again. I know, I know. I'm actually disappointed in my missed opportunity, but, you know, I kind of froze right at that point well, in time. Funny you say that, Laura. Um, Nikki, do you remember this? But uh, I think uh, I would have been about 10 years old. Nikki would have been about eight. And anyway, we're, we're a family of four and um, the plane had, you know, on the left had three seats, on the right had three seats. So anyway... Um, we, we got given the three seats, my brother, uh, or Nikki, uh, my mum and myself, and Dad got, you know, kicked down the back of the plane, as he does. Anyway, we're sitting there, buckled up, and then down the aisle walks this big, lumbering, uh, just behemoth of a man, and it is no other than Matthew Lloyd, and he sits directly opposite us in terms of opposite to the left sort of thing. What a great I remember man. this um, story. This is good. And, well, I was absolutely cacomous. I could not believe it. It was Matthew Lloyd right there. And I didn't (laughs) go the whole trip. He's actually trying to – he sort of knew we were fans. I think mum had said something like, oh, yeah, yeah, Lloyd, you sit there. I don't know what happened. But um, he knew I was a a fan. He was asking me, so how did you get involved with Essendon? I gave him nothing. I was absolutely (laughs) shit myself. (laughs) Anyway, we're flights over. We've landed. I think we're in Queensland or something. And uh, everyone's up, waiting to get off the plane. Dead silent. And uh, <laughs> turned to him and said, who's your hardest opponent to play on? After two hours of, of building that up. So uh, <laughs> the whole plane just erupts in laughter. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a loity story for you. But it would have been with a little high-pitched voice. That Matthew yeah. used to have. Who's your hardest opponent to play on? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the, the relief. Uh, what did he say? He said Darren Glass. He said Darren Glass from the West Coast Eagles. So, nah, he's a good man, Lloydie. Do you know? Hopefully, get you know my favorite. One of my favorite stories is, and there's going to be a few on this podcast. Um, but my favorite is, do you remember when you were a kid? We told you that you couldn't call James Heard James. <laughs> he had. Oh. You couldn't call him Herdy. It had to be Sir James, Sir James. or Mister Heard. Yeah, I do. And I remember, remember one that? time we were at the footy yeah. and he, might, he would have done something miraculous and he would have kicked a goal or whatever. And everyone's chanting, Hurdy, Hurdy. And you turn to me and you go, because obviously being the older Nicholas, you called me Big Nicholas back then. And you go, Big Nicholas? They're saying Hurdy. They're supposed to call him Mr. Hurd. And <laughs> everyone around us erupted with laughter. Oh, God. I do remember that. And I, I remember... um. Nikki, you, you'd remember this as well, but uh, I, I think we were we met at your house, about to go to the game because obviously we all went together. <laughs> uh, don't tell the, the the feds. I hope the Vic Pole aren't listening, but I think we'd have a, we'd have don't, a five, <laughs> five seater car. And there was bloody eight of us in there <laughs> just to save on parking. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you said the whole right. If he kicks three, go- if he kicks the goal or how many goals it was, I don't remember. You have to bow. You have to bow. You have to bow. <laughs> so, no, anyway, gets to the third or fourth quarter. I think it's like 06, 07. We were garbage, and I think we were about to beat Brisbane or something. Oh, the, and the it, old Matthew yeah. Knights era. 
Yeah, Hurdy Hurdy kicks. Uh, oh, it might have been the last year of Sheedy. Oh, 07. Yeah, that was Sheedy. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah I think Lloydie Lloydie was out with a string. That's right, because the great man Courtney Johns was supposed to take his spot. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think Johns was out. Johns was out yeah. today. Hurdy had to play at full forward. Anyway, he's kicked four, five, whatever. It's he's reached the quota that you'd set. Anyway, you see, you one one lone man out in the crowd just bowing. <laughs> Hurdy. Hurdy. Sure enough, I was within. I reckon it took about a minute. You just see that that wing of Essendon up on the. Uh, oh, I don't know what what side it is, but close to the end where the um, the cheer squad are, you're seeing more and more people start bowing. Jeez, we, <laughs> Even, we started yeah. a good one that day, didn't we? Yeah. Well, time goes on. The whole cheer squad. <laughs> so you're a bit of a trendsetter. In that oh, regard. oh, that was my dream. That was my dream. But we've been a. Uh... We've been talking for nearly 10 minutes and haven't got anywhere yeah, near the point of what this episode's about. It's not story time with the Don Father crew. Um, today, we want to have a look at the season that was, the 2020 season. We want to do a bit of a review and uh, see where we went right, see where we went wrong, and where do we go from here. So let's take a little bit of a break and then we'll jump back in with our analysis of 2020. All right, so as we said before the break, we're going to jump straight in and have a chat about the 2020 season. So what do you guys reckon? What This year in review, what, if you could sum it up in one sentence, what would you say about this season? Dog shit. A shit show. Complete dog shit. It was probably the most Essendon season ever. We come out round one, oh, new game song. Oh, here we are. Look at us, Townsend. Oh, Blake Carousel. Oh, game plan. Oh, here we go. Yeah, it's so uh, much anyway. promise. Out of the yeah. gates fast. And then, as usual, a disappointment. Yeah, so uh, I'd, I'd describe it as, as Essendon as ever. It's just quintessential post Sheedy era Essendon, isn't it? It was just, it was just an, a demonstration of. An implosion, in every mm. sense of the word. Yep. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I just, um, it, it. Look, if if we hadn't have had sixteen years or seven or however long it's been of uh, mediocrity, I, I, I think, and I think a lot of Essendon fans would would sit in the same boat as well. You might be able to accept the fact that, uh, okay, well. You know, COVID nineteen probably had a fair impact on things in a new game plan. Fair few injuries, but I'm I'm not really sure where I'm going with this. But it, it has just been year after year of the same thing, and and I'm sure every Essendon fan is saying this. And I think this really put the ham the the, the nail in the coffin in terms of our patience is up as fans. So yeah. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I'd, I'd agree with your sentiments, but I'm going to um, throw out a controversial opinion here. Go for I it. reckon I saw the signs this year of the makings of a great football club once again. And and we can elaborate on that a little bit later on, but I, as bad as this year was, I reckon I reckon we've turned the corner. And, and I'll talk about a few, a few things that... that prove that to me um but if we're looking at 2020 in isolation 
no doubt it was an absolute disaster. Pardon, pardon the pun with isolation. Oh, <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. I see what you did there. <laughs> so go, go on. Yep, keen to hear this from you, uh, Nick G. Oh, look, yeah, you're going to have to have some pretty strong evidence because I'm not sure that I agree with this. Mm, well, well, let's let's go around the room and uh, let's. Well, we're not all in one room because that would be illegal, Ooh. Dan Andrews. Um, so let, let's let's just throw this around. Let, let's have a chat. What, what do you guys think went right? What's what's one thing that went right, or a couple things that went right? Jordan, Jordan Ridley. Ridley. No. Oh, snap. <laughs> no, well, Andrew McGrath then. Uh, yeah, oh, look, I'd have to agree with that. I think we're starting to see a, a sort of a young core develop um, in terms of, yeah, a Jordan Ridley, um, McGrath starting to take things on. Parrish, I think, really came out of his shell this year. Um, the list probably goes on, um, and I think, you, you know, uh, I'd love to see more time put into guys like Redmond, like Zerk Thatcher. Um, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Um, D- Dylan Clark, I think, one that um, just needs a few more games. and He's really filling into that role at half forward. Um, Irving Mosquito, uh, every, you know, best of luck out to him with his knee. Can't wait to see him back out there. Um, but then also, you know, our sort of maturing bracket of players below sort of Hurley, Hooker, uh, obviously T-Bell's moving on. I think Dyson Heppel becomes a, a next oldest. And then below that is Shield, Saad, Stringer, who are only 26, 27. So there is a lot of hope in the group in that our, our core is starting to develop. And maybe three or four more, well, I don't want to go that far. But, you know, perhaps they, they just need a little, you know, another preseason together, another another. Not even another year, but just knowing that this is actually in their hands now, and I think that's really powerful for a young group. So that could be for me. That's really one positive is that okay, we we know there are guys we can put games into next year and are really going to come together, and I think we'll produce some good football yeah. if everything goes to plan. Yeah, I agree. And I, the the number one big positive for me is I think the two players that became really good players this year, I think, are Kyle Langford and Jaden Laverty. And I think yeah. oh, I think yeah. we always knew McGrath was going to be a player, and I think he uh, just continued to on the same trajectory. Whereas I think with Kyle Langford, he um, he's really taken his time to develop for whatever reason. He's only I think he's only a year younger or a year older than than McGrath. Um, uh, he's two two years older than McGrath. Two years younger than Merritt. Year younger than Merritt. Okay, so he's he's quite, and I think he got drafted as a bottom age if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, he's born in December. Yeah, he's born late in the year. Yeah, so all the good ones are born in December. Uh, the good footballers, not the good people, though. Um, oh. So he oh, well, all right. Lang is all right. And, and I think, um, I think what really became apparent was that he he started to become a, an accomplished player that you could rely on. You know, when the ball goes mm. to him on the wing. You're not stressing that he's not going to get it. He's going to take a good mark. He's going to dispose of it well. He's not panicking anymore. Um, and so I was really, for one that that's taken his time to get there, I was really pleased that now he just fits comfortably in the. He's one of those players that you just put in the lineup. You, you don't even question it anymore. You're not. He's not getting given games. He deserves them. Yeah. Look, I I, I couldn't agree more. I I think the beauty in Langford. Um, is that if, if he can really own that inside midfield position, him and Parrish, um, that allows guys like Merritt, Shield, McGrath, um, 
I don't know if you throw Laverde in there because I see him being that sort of uh, inside-outside combo like a stringer or, a, you know, that dusty Degoe mould. Um, but, yeah, he, he allows those guys to, to as in Shield, McGrath, Merritt, etc., to be able to work on the outside and, and, and use their foot skills, although <laughs> they could use a little bit of sharpening up. But I believe uh, give them a little bit more time, allow them to work on the outside a little bit more with a little bit more time and space. Um, we can sort of flaunt those areas of their game rather than have to depend on them to win so much contested footy for us. So um, Langford's a big key for us turning the corner. And, uh, you know, Parrish goes through there as well. Clark's another one that could probably fit in there and, and do some grunt work for us. Um, and plus, if we had anyone over the free agency, which is a, another topic. Well, the thing is, I everyone says we need a big body inside mid, right? And everyone has, particularly recently, has been bashing Dodoro for saying, you know, why has it taken us so long to pick up this big body mid? But I think what people forget is that we recruited Stringer in that role. And I think at some point, someone's someone's failed in that regard. And I'm not talking about this year in particular, because we know he got a syndesmosis injury, which makes it really dis- difficult to run. And so, and they rushed him back. Really, if this was any other season, we, we weren't desperate to make finals by rushing him in. They would have given him time to get fit properly. But the reality is that they drafted, or they, they brought in Stringer in the hope that he would get fit enough to run through the midfield. And, and there's been numerous interviews, particularly when we got him, that were suggesting that. And whether it's a Stringer problem, or and it, I'll, I'll go into this, but it could be a football club problem, right? But the responsibility on Jake Stringer was for him, he was brought in to play that midfield role, that big-bodied inside mid, that explosive clearance player, and he's just never, for whatever reason, whether it's his work ethic, whether he's been injured, whatever has gone on, he just hasn't been able to generate the tank to become that full-time midfielder. I think now, that um, before his injury, sorry to interrupt, before his injury earlier in the season, he was showing some good attack and he had some really solid games. I don't know, yeah, but not as a midfielder though. Like, well, true. The, was the midfielder experiment forward. that literally failed almost instantly a couple of years ago where we just went, that's it, you're just going to be a forward who sometimes pinches, pinch hits uh, on ball. And this is where I think a lot of people have a problem with Dodoro is, all right, the string experiment failed. He's still a good footballer though. Keep him up forward. Why haven't we then in those two years gone and got a gone and got a big inside midfielder? Someone they don't even have to, you know, be the best. They just need to be a big body around the contest who can just sort of just take the hits for well, the little guys. Well, this is the problem, right? Because String is such a talented footballer that he actually he he will always get a spot in an AFL team. He's just one of those guys that is is so incredibly talented. But because of and, and you know, we're talking about him as a footballer. We're not talking about his character as a human being, right? Um, and, and that's something that, you know, we need to make really clear when we're talking about these players. It's not about their character. It's about them as, as footballers. But he's clearly not been professional enough because he hasn't gotten fit enough. And when you're that talented and you, you get games on, on what you can do, the special things, then you can hide in a forward pocket and you can kick two or three miraculous goals and people can say that you've done your job. But the reality is he hasn't. He was brought to this club to play the same role that Dustin Martin plays at Richmond. And he has all the physical attributes to be able to do that, but he hasn't had the application to get fit enough to play that role. And and this 
could be a Drake, Jake Stringer issue, but I think it goes deeper. I think it's a club issue because if you know that about your players, that they're not going to train hard enough on their own, you then need to create systems around them to get the best out of them. That's the whole point of being at a football club. So what you need to do is staple him to Dyson Heppel and get them to train together or, or create some sort of system to support them to get him to the level he needs to be. Because I think of all the players on our list, he's in the top two or three that could take the club forward. So it goes both ways. So yeah, you can support um, Stringer as much as you want, but the reality of reality is if he doesn't apply himself, it falls on him. He's a professional athlete. He needs to be able to get the best out of himself. Of course, you know, the club doesn't just throw him in the deep end and, you know, hope he can swim by himself. We're going to support him, but if he, yeah. If he doesn't apply himself, and it's on him. I agree. Yeah, and and I think as a professional athlete, really, the the buck needs to stop with him. But then the it also needs to stop at the club in regards to why you're bringing in a person who is unprofessional, like that. You pay a big price to get these players in, and they're, you know, it's their job. So if you really want to stop being a mediocre football club, you have well, to demand. Also, don't you need to look at wasn't that part of and the reason why he was let go from the Bulldogs was to do with professionalism and I know off field issues, but if that's the case, um, you know, do we want to be the, I don't know how, what the word I'm looking for is, but do we want to be that place where the players just kind of go if they're not good enough to be in another club? Yeah, there, there was a few cultural issues at the Bulldogs that he, he didn't fit in with. And, and I think that um, the off-field stuff is, is a bit... It's a bit tough because he was very... He was only 21 when that happened. And, you know, I don't think you... Pardon these two listening in and, and chatting with us as well. They're around that age. But you don't make the best decisions at that age. So I'm, I'm willing to accept that he's grown up and matured a little bit since then and that you can, you can put that mistake down to to his youth and and to you know not being around the best people or having a tough part in his life and certainly he hasn't really put a foot wrong off the field since he's been a Essendon that we know of it's been he the question has been his professionalism and applying himself to training in both the shutdown period and then in his return from syndesmosis um certainly from my regard anyway yeah, if if I can just give my two cents on uh, Jakey Boy. Now, I love the package. So do I. I, I absolutely love the package. But um, I, I actually might have to disagree. So I think pre-Syndesmosis injury, and, and maybe my memory is just uh, is escaping me. But I look, I think he's a centre-bounce player in terms of he's going to he'll, – he'll go and play in the mid at centre-bounces. I think around the ground – that's probably not his strength. Even if he is fit enough, I just don't see him being that player, particularly given the congestion that's that that's um, currently uh, you know a part of AFL football. Maybe if you know rule changes, the game opens up, they might change some things. But I see him being a you know almost at every centre bounce like a, a, a Martin would. Um, but I, I also think that uh, he he he. We, we give him a lot of flack and say he's unprofessional and this and that. I reckon he does a bit of work behind the scenes, Jakey boy. Uh, I, I've got no justification for saying that. It's just gut feel. Um, now, he certainly doesn't look like an athlete, but I think if, if we can go across to other sports, you know, Charles Barkley never looked like an athlete. Um, I'm sure in the NFL there are plenty that maybe don't look like an athlete. 
Um, oh, look, my, oh, the more I think about that, maybe I'm I'm I'm, I'm standing on a very uh, very weak leg there. But I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't reckon he's as unprofessional as as we say. But perhaps it's maybe just a bit of wishful thinking there. No, I don't. I don't think. I mean, it's like everything. The the media perception and the reality are probably very far apart. Um, or you know what we're saying and and the reality of you know it's probably somewhere in the middle in terms of I don't think he's completely unprofessional, um, and certainly the syndesmosis injury when you can't when you can't run, if if you're not the kind of player who's really meticulous with their diet, which he he may be, but the evidence seems to suggest he's not, um, you don't come back at the best level to be able to play your best football. But I think the reality is that. If he was able to get absolutely as fit as possible, you're going to see a much different and a much better performing Jake Stringer than we had certainly in the, the end oh, of no the, doubt, end no of doubt, season. Yeah. Um, and I think I think he was having a, I think the Collingwood game he'd he'd really hit his straps this year. I think um, he came out of preseason by all reports really really fit. Then the shutdown period really set him back a little bit. Um, and then he was, mm, and then he was starting to find form again. And and Collingwood was certainly the best game he'd played for for a very long time. Well, not a very long time, but certainly this year. Um, and in fact, I think I think his syndesmosis injury, coupled with Shields' two week suspension, which for which other players this year have now been let off, or you know, um, at the time Shield got suspended for the potential to do injury when the MRI came back clear, and yet there was a player last week. Um, no, Port Adelaide player. Who was it? Zach Butters, who knocked out Jai Simpkin and got the same penalty as Dylan Shield. Yep. He got two weeks. And I, I think those two events really derailed our season on field, for the most part. Yeah, they probably have some element to it, but I don't think you know two specific moments to to just two players really affected us. And I think you know our season went wrong. You know. Where it went wrong would have to go down to you know the whole squad, the coaching, the leadership for it to just you know be five and two and to just for it to just fall away the way it did. Are you are you about to drop the hand grenade, Nikki? I might be. Are you are you alluding to what I think you're alluding to? Potentially. Are you trying to suggest that perhaps this football club? Is suffering from a very specific curse. It it does appear that way, doesn't it? Are you suggesting that we are still feeling the effects of what I like to call the curse of the crow? I think I think you you could be right. So um, for those listening at home or in the car or at the workplace or wherever you're listening, in fact, if anyone is listening. Um, when we refer to the curse of the crow, what we in fact mean is obviously our very our most recent high performance manager, Justin Crow. And one of my theories of where this football season went wrong, or the, or the big thing for me that where the football season went wrong, was that we were still dealing with the ramifications of the poor management of our list by the strength and conditioning and, and injury management department, which at the time was headed by Justin Crow. So whether we can blame him completely or whether um, it's it's the whole team, um, I think that a big part of our season's failure this year was due to the curse of the Crow. 
And and the evidence is quite clear when it comes to that. And for anyone wondering, Nick and Laura are both uh, medical professionals. So if anyone's qualified to discuss Justin Crow, these two are definitely two Do we need to the best you can find. Yeah, well, um, as with uh, the footballers that we're talking about, their professional abilities and not them as people. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure um, Justin Crow's a lovely guy, and I'm sure if I passed him in the street, he'd he'd be quite polite. Um, but in terms of the the evidence of what we saw, um, in terms of the injury management and the uh, the fitness levels of our team to to date, and and what I'm speaking of specifically is the fact that uh, at the end of last year we had something like 13 or 14 of our best 22 go in for surgery and miss big big chunks of the preseason. Um, and that extended as far to this season that we, we saw, what, Dyson Heppel for two or three games. Um, we didn't see Patrick Ambrose at all, although I think all his injuries were with this year. Um, but a lot of players started very, very far back. We haven't seen Joe Danaher for the best part of three years. Uh, James Stewart missed essentially two years. Uh, Fantasia hasn't been able to string four games together in three years. Um, and all of these players started well, well behind the eight ball. And I think if, if you think back to the media pundits and what they were saying early on, that they expected Essendon to drop because no one had had a full preseason. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a... Uh, very similar to Melbourne last year. Yeah, yeah, they, they yeah. were comparing us to Melbourne who had made the prelim the year before and then completely fell away the year after. Which was last year, wasn't it? They fell away. Because they didn't make yeah, the just trying to think. Before. Yeah, I think you might be right. Uh, I don't keep... Uh... Yeah, 2018. Yeah, 2018. 2018 it was, yeah. 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 If, I, if I can just... Um, so I, I don't mean to uh, draw back, but I, yeah, I just wanted to back up your point on a fit Jakey Stringer. I think just think back to round one, and, and I think he, he really came out with his traps... Um, or hitting his straps. So, but anyway, back to the point of um, Justin Crow. It, look, uh, it, it's great. You know, we'll, we'll never know. We'll never ever know. I mean, we, yeah, all the signs point to that, and we consider and discuss it all day. But uh, one, the damage is done, and two, we'll never know. The club will never come out and say, "Oh, you know, it was Crowy." Um, do I? Th- I mean, yeah, no doubt. We're still. I mean, you, you guys would know, obviously, working in the um, allied health space, um, and even myself working preliminary in, in the um, strength and conditioning space. But yeah, the, the signs would point a lot of soft tissue injuries, um, missed times out of the preseason, or missed chunks out of the preseason, um, would indicate that there's probably been some poor management um, or some very, very bad luck. But at what point do you stop calling it luck and do you say, okay, well, maybe we haven't uh, done everything we we should have, or or maybe we, we just made some missteps? Well, I'll tell you what's I'll tell you what's luck and tell you what's not luck. Luck is impact injuries. So the, yeah, that's that's so, that's kind of thing. Yeah. So ankles, syndesmosis, those sorts of things are, are luck. Dislocated shoulders, all those sorts of things. When you hit in a contest, that's that's good luck. That's bad luck. What is not luck? is persistent soft tissue injuries. There's a whole heap of factors that go into soft tissue, but by far and away, and and when I say a whole heap of factors, we're talking about 
um, nutrition, the amount of sleep, the surfaces you pl you're training on, your loads, your recovery. All so there's a lot of things go into that. But the number one primary factor that goes into soft tissue injuries, particularly persistent soft tissue injuries, is your fundamental biomechanics. So, and and this is the thing that makes me a bit crazy about footy commentary. Well, lots of things make me crazy about footy commentary. But when the the ex AFL players start to diagnose players on the field and they're like, oh, it's this, it's this, or he, he must be inherently weak because he continually does his hamstring or his calf or whatever. But the the thing with soft tissue injuries is that they don't occur if you have good fundamental biomechanics. And the way that you know that is that, as obvious as it is, we're all human beings, right? So we all have should be walking, running, jumping in exactly the same way. So there's nothing more complicated about AFL or professional athletes than there is about Joe Blow who's walking down the street. The fundamental biomechanics are the same. And if you have issues along those chains, then you're going to have recurrent issues. Whether they're chronic groin problems like osteitis pubis, whether they're chronic quad hamstring strains, whether they're chronic calf strains, whatever it is, if your fundamental biomechanics are poor and you don't rehab them properly, then you're in line for recurrent injuries. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, you'd obviously know more of that space than, than I uh, would, and, and same with you, Laura. Um, and, and as I said, you know, persistent soft tissue injuries, that was my point, was, okay, well, at what point to go, this isn't so much bad luck as maybe we're not doing something um, correct. Um, and I'm not to say that they were or they weren't. Um, but I think the but, club identified yeah, think... it, though, because because you saw at the end well, of last yeah. year that they moved Justin Crow on, and I imagine numerous other people around the strength and conditioning, um, and they brought on Sean Murphy. Yeah, who's, oh, I think, uh, a, a win in my book. Um, I think he's done a good job thus far. Um, but who knows? I mean, Joe Danaher's been rehabbing um, for a, a couple of years now. And certainly um, the word on the street is he got sent to Ireland. So we, we can't, we don't know for sure whether Sean Murphy was responsible for his his recovery and rehab or whether that was something that was in place before he got there. But I think the evidence with Sean Murphy is that we've had very few um, soft tissue injuries this year when you look at the stats on that. Yeah. We've been very yeah. unlucky with injury, but a lot of them have been impact injuries. But there's there's two mm. there's two in particular that concern that give me some some pause and some reason for concern when it comes to Sean Murphy. One of those is um, Orazio Fantasia. And the other one is the nature in which um, Irving Mosquito did his knee in the... Um, who were we playing? Was that against... Um, Geelong. Geelong, yeah. that's right. So those, those two... I, I was a big fan of Sean Murphy until the point of um, Raz re redoing his calf and that non-impact related knee injury. And, and the evidence I have for so this... So can we bookmark on Raz for a minute? Because... I don't know you can put that down to Sean Murphy when, um, you know, he's not really in the last three or four seasons had, he's had quite a number of soft tissue injuries. So I, I don't know, maybe he's just got a body type that is not sustainable or just does, does not withstand I, the pressures of um, professional I sport. 
disagree with that in that I don't think there's a body type that prepares you for professional sport. Um, I don't think, like I was saying before, I don't think there's anything different about Raz than there is about you or me or Nikki or Maddie or anyone else. Fundamentally... I don't know there's some sort of... There's a reason why some people become professional athletes and some people don't. And it's not only down to hard work um, or... Um, talent it's it's a genetic ability to recover and to to do well this is a story for another podcast but i i think i think raz's issue is down to that no one's actually ever rehabbed him properly and i think i'd be hazarding a guess and i think he has um he has a weakness if if i had to guess Mm. i would say it's, it's around his um the glute med muscles on both his on both legs um i think Surely that's rehab 101 for a physio or chiro or, or allied or any kind of healthcare pro- professional is core and glutes. Yeah. Particularly in limb injuries. So yeah, but then, it, then, it, that's it, been- then you have to look at, okay, well, how are you rehabbing them? Are you, re- are you making the muscle bigger and stronger or are you actually rehabbing the pathway where the brain activates the muscle? And, and I mean, this is a whole, you know, I can't download eight years of uni and, and eight years of, of, clinical practice in in five minutes but essentially um what you want to focus on with your rehab and this is certainly where the research is going you want to focus on the connection between the brain and the muscle group not necessarily making the muscle bigger and stronger and i think that's something that the the industry across the board is has been getting wrong for a long time Hmm. well i yeah I feel that the first part of any kind of strength program is about getting connections between the brain and the muscle stronger because how else do you activate it? Exactly right. I think, yeah, I think we should move on from that because I think you two could go on all day about that. And I think if anyone ends up listening to this, uh, it's not here to talk about soft tissue injury and the industry, but rather they want to hear about the essence of football club. That's right. So, so my so, point is that the fact that, that Raz has done recurrent injuries and then Moz did a non-impact knee injury, which is a very clear indicator of poor biomechanics and poor connection between his brain and, he, and his limbs. Um, that, they're the two things. I, I was really happy with Sean Murphy to that point, but those two, now I've got just a sneaking little doubt in my mind. But again, um, fundamentally, we're coming from a way back this year. And everything else that I've seen from Sean Murphy has been a real positive. And I think this preseason coming, we're going to start to see the fruits of his his work if, in fact, he is the right guy. To yeah. Take well, I think just to finish on this topic, on the Irving one, sport is, is so random and so much uh, can happen. There's so much stimulus uh, coming to an athlete during a game that, that anything can really happen. So I don't think you could put that on. I think that's – personally, I think that's unfair to put that on the um, high-performance manager for such a – Thing. But but anyway, I think I think we'll uh, I get on to the next topic. Maddie, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So there's been a lot of talk recently, particularly around the last game that we played, um, and there's just a, a bit of a smell coming out of the club that perhaps the the culture is is struggling a little bit, um, and that perhaps it's not as 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 happy and rosy as as we've been led to believe. And um, that has been kind of touted as one of the reasons that we've 
underperformed the last few years, that um, it doesn't have a ruthless winning culture and that the club has really struggled to find its identity post the drug saga and, and particularly uh, the suspensions in 2016. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? Well, well, it, it had. We had lost it until the club put out a, an 18-minute minute video today of Mr. Paul Brasher. We are, we are saved. We are saved. I mean, look, I've, I've been an Essendon fan a, a short time in the, in the context of uh, many others in terms of we've only seen it really probably post-2004 when we actually um, won our last final. This is the first time that I've actually seen, or maybe, you know, with a little bit of the James Hurd era um, in there as well, but we, we won't get into that, where I've seen a, a proud club that is just a man who, this wasn't about him, this was about, look, he, he, he just by the way he spoke, he was an Essendon fan, He's, he said everything we as Essendon fans wanted to hear, he addressed absolutely everything, there was no politics, uh, you know, trying to sell us sort of candy bullshit, part of my friends there. This was a guy on a mission who just said enough is enough and we are coming and we are back and, and we are getting back to the Essendon of old that for many of my generation we haven't seen. Essendon's always been a sort of a joke of a club or, you know, a, a, a mid-tier club. This was a man who said, no, 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 this is not the fabric of our club. We're back. We're back. We're turning the corner. He, he came out. He came out and went bang, oh, didn't oh, he? In that eight, that was that was the greatest eighteen minutes of twenty twenty this far. Oh, I would agree. I would agree. It hasn't been too many good minutes, but this this would be that'd be one of them. Oh, mate! Do you know I I haven't felt this good about the football club since they announced the return of Sir James <laughs> Hurd. How good was that day yeah. when James Hurd was announced as the the coach? Just as an a side note. Well, we know what happened historically from then, but that was that was another moment when we'd been mediocre for quite a while and the club said, enough is enough. Let's bring in the big guns. And you could see the, the impact that he had straight mm. away. He, um, The players wanted to play for the jumper again. They wanted to play for him. He really... Uh, I'm, I'm so disappointed of all... The, you know, and we won't go into all the stuff that happened after that. But because I really believe that that list that we had assembled 2012, 2013, 2014, I reckon we missed our, our flag window with that. I think that list was that good and there were signs that they were playing that well um, that we that we would have gone on to, to deep into the finals and perhaps even a flag. Potentially, yeah. I mean, we'll never know. But um, the Doro seems to agree with you. Nikki, sorry, you go on. Oh, so yeah, definitely probably could have gone deep to the finals. Uh, premiership, that's, that's a very big call, especially with the Hawthorne three-peat side during that I, time as well. We, we had something like 11 All-Australians in that team. Mm. Yeah, that is yeah. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think even... Well, go, I, you go. It might have been seven, but there's some number ending with EN, right? But there was there was a significant amount of that team that were All-Australian in that era or, or have since become All-Australian. Oh, well, well, let's, let's list, list them off. So, Hooker and Hurley. Goddard would have already had an All-Australian honour. Ryder. Ryder eventually got one that was in that team. Uh, Hibbert, Hibbert yep. Watson, Merritt, and Danaher. And what's so the Brownlow medalist? 
<laughs> depends who you are. Well, to, be, to be to be fair, Danaher was nowhere close to his his uh, his best around that time. But, but um, don't you remember late in twenty fifteen before we got kicked out of the finals? Was it fifteen or thirteen? Thirteen. Thirteen. We got kicked 13. out. We were playing off a top spot with Hawthorne in round sixteen in 2013 and then the wheels fell off because the, the players got sniffed that, that they were going to get kicked out of finals and, and everything fell away but yeah. I reckon that year we we were going on we, we may not have won the flag right but we certainly would have won one final that year and we certainly would have really I think had the list to go deep yeah well, that, well that... and Hurley playing forward um, gee that was good that combo yeah, oh, the, the spine was was magnificent. I think you know, jeez, uh, I'm really having to stretch my memory here. But Hooker, Carlisle, Ryder, uh, Hurley, um, yeah, and Cramery, who uh, T-Bell. yeah, T-Bell, yeah, Monfries. Uh, um, was he playing? Yeah, okay, well, yeah, I think no, Monfries was a port. Yeah, he jumped But just uh, that spine, that spine, yeah. Plus a plus a Watson in the middle, you know, just just getting everything. Uh, Goddard, he's prime. Brent, Brent Stanton, yeah, Brent Stanton, an underrated, uh, yeah, underrated he was Brent playing. Stanton, some... he was one of my favourite players all time. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. Remember when we, um, when we saw Brent Stanton at Video Easy, Maddie? Uh, yeah, I think it was, <laughs> gee, that was a long time ago, oh five. Yeah. yeah, yeah, at a video shop for those listening, those Gen Zers. That's where you went to to borrow movies, kind of like Netflix, but you actually had to leave the house and get them. Yeah, but even just going back, you know, this that video was. I reckon that is absolutely huge because that is the first time I've actually heard the the or first time in a long time, maybe since the supplement saga, the Essendon Football Someone Club. Give us a shit. Yeah, exactly right, exactly right. Stand up and say, "Nah, we're not taking this anymore." And and Paul Brusher, he as I said, not a uh, not a not a you know just getting in camera, be a puppet sort of. Yeah, we're going to really try our best this year. No, this was. This is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it, and we're not going to accept anything less. And that it's just that's exactly what you want to see as and a fan. You know what? I th- I think there's been signs of it this year, last year, and 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 to be honest, I think there's been signs of it all through Wush's uh, tenure. In that, and what I really like about the way Wush has set up the fo- and let's not let's not mince words. This year has been an absolute disaster, right? There's there's no two ways about it. Yeah, but. What I've liked coming out of the football club, well, from day one, that John Worsford always said that I'm here to allow the players to get the best out of themselves. And what that means is that he is not driving them towards that. He's empowering them to decide the direction they want to go and let them make the decisions and lead the club forward. Not not the on-field decisions, but they as a group have to decide, yes, we're going to be a good football club. Yes, we're going to be a good team, right? And and work towards the goals that they want to achieve. That's the only way to motivate people is to to make them want to motivate themselves, right? So I've, I've always liked that about Wusha. But what I've liked over the last couple of years is the consistency of the message in that every interview that comes out of the coaching staff, out of Rutten, out of Wusha, out of the players, is always been the same message. We are working towards this. We are intending to get better and better, and we're playing a brand that's sustainable that will win us finals. We're playing a brand that stands up in finals football. Now, we haven't seen that yet 
but that doesn't mean that they're not working towards that. And what I like is that unity of vision and that unity of purpose that every player, when they're interviewed, is able to talk about. But how do you know that that's not just drilled into them and that's not how they're living behind the scenes? Because it's all well and good and very easy to say, this is what we're working towards. But when you see a club that is not cohesive on the field and when you have the same, when things are not going well and the same message is rolled out week after week after week, something's not right somewhere. Yeah, but you have to, but that has to be the first point. The first point has to be the clarity and the consistency of the message. And then that's what you work towards. It's like the first time I got on a bike, I couldn't ride. I wasn't good at it. But you knew that you get on the bike, you sit on it, you use the pedals, and as you get velocity, you stay up on the bike. But you don't just say that I can ride a bike and suddenly you know how to ride a bike. You've got to work towards it. You've got to develop the skills. You've got to get to that point. But the the vision has to be clear. And to me, it seems that the vision is clear and the message is consistent. I'd I'd have to um I I'd have to comfortably disagree with you there. And I think um Nikki, you actually pointed obviously off air, but uh, you know, two uh I think we're playing Port Adelaide two or three weeks ago. And uh Nikki, you compared him to sort of I think it was end of eighteen, so two years prior, we were at Amy Stadium in front of a full port crowd, smoking them. And now you compare and contrast those two sides over the last two years. We have gone, uh, I believe, backwards. Yeah, backwards if you want to call it that, or at least haven't continued on a positive trend. Whereas Port Adelaide are off the charts. You know, they're 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 a dead set. Um, oh, I don't know if they're a premiership contender, but the top four. Yeah, so top the by by, by yeah, default, premiership contender. Yeah, yeah. By default, by default, they are. I don't think they'll win the premiership, but by default. Um, so I, I don't know if there has been a unity and a, and a, and a clear vision. It seems that um, maybe things haven't been as clear or, or, or just as been, you know, we bring in Blake Carousella, we bring in Truck. Does that change things? Does that change the message? Um, how many times this year have we heard, well, we're trying a new game plan, we're trying a new game plan. Um, and even Musha, you know, you know, he went from, um, you know, we're good enough to be with the good sides to end of the year, well, we're not quite there, but we'll be there soon. So I, I, I don't know if there has been that consistency of message. And I, I don't know. And just going back to your point on empowering the players, and I think that's great, but it can go two ways, you know. Um, I think it works particularly well when you've got a really senior group, a mature group, um, because they, they have got those standards. They, you know, they're seasoned veterans, they're professionals. They know what it takes or what at least what it doesn't take you know, and what they actually have to overcome to get somewhere. Um, but when you do it from a young group, you can almost give too much, not too much responsibility, but they don't know where the bar is. And it might, it's probably your best interest as a coach, especially with a young group, to set that bar, to say, this is where you need to get to, boys. And I, I we saw in the video there, he's very much about saying, where do you guys want to go as footballers? Where do you want to go as footballers? Again, that can cultivate two things. Is you do get you know a really good response, you get a lot of individual responsibility, which collectively equals an awesome result, or you get just some guys just looking for themselves, and you don't actually get that unified vision. We're all you know one team working together because some guys are worried about okay, what have I got to do to get to hundred games, rather than worrying about what have I got to do to win this I week. So, I'd have to I disagree think with you there. What you're saying is true, right? But then, 
I mean, organisations are complex. Football clubs are complex. When, when you're dealing with Absolutely. people, they're complex. Yeah. Right? But if you want to cultivate an environment where you want to empower the the players, and, and it is about maturity, but it's not about age, right? Because I think someone like Andrew McGrath is incredibly mature and can turn into the leader that drives the standards of the football club. Same with Parrish, same with Langford. Yeah. Those sorts of players, I think, are, are good people, right? So what you do is you make a decision as a football club, this is the direction we want to go. And certainly what I saw from Paul Brasher when I watched that today, I feel like he's made this choice, right? He said, this is the direction of the football club we want to go. Let's find the right type of people that fit into our vision, which is maybe something that we haven't mm. done thus far, right? We, we can't say yes, but we can't say no, right? But now they're looking, and, and he outlined it. Now, I think he said people who are consistent, people who hate losing, people who will do whatever it takes to get to that level of consistency that's required and people who are professional. Now, and when you when you can articulate it, when you can identify it, then those people will actually mm. come to you. You will have players, and, and this happened with Dylan Shield, and this is why I think the evidence is there, that Dylan Shield met with the, the players at Essendon and they said, this is our vision. This is where we're going, right? And he bought into that and he came and joined us for less money. So this has already been happening at Essendon. And because we've, and the thing is... When, I bet he's probably wishing that he didn't um, I don't given think so. the last couple of years. I don't think he's that personality. And I don't think, I, I think Essendon is still on the same trajectory that they were, were then. And if you look at Port Adelaide as an example, two years ago, they were struggling. They were they were underperforming. And what did they do? They did a mini rebuild, right? They brought in those three early picks. Who did they bring in? Butters, um, Rosie, and Rosie Dersma, right? Dersma. And they brought across. Um, they got rid of Chad Wingard, and they brought across um, Burton from Hawthorne. So they they knew where their list profile was at, and they had to do a course correction, right? And and then they brought in Dixon that year as well, didn't they? No, Dixon they've had for five, four or five years. I think two years before that, they brought in Rockliffe, Dixon and, and, and Watts. And and you would say that probably of those three... And, and Motlop. And, and of those four, Watts hasn't worked out, but the other three have been good to this point. They brought them in the same year we brought in um, Saad, Smith and, and Stringer, right? So they brought those in. And then, la- not last year, the year before, they went to the draft. They traded out some big players and they got some early picks because they identified some talent. And then... With that small course correction, they've then been able to catapult themselves up the ladder. There's two things that's happened at that football club that's a little bit different to Essendon, is that they've had Ken Hinckley there the whole time. So they've had that stability off the field or stability in terms of the message and the vision. They realised they were going in the wrong direction and they've had a course correction. I think with the handover, as bad as people are saying it's been, we're going to have a new coach, but that consistency of system is going to be there, right? So it's like having the same coach. And I feel from the messaging coming out of the club post-2020 that we've seen from, from the day the season ended to, to this point here, they've realised they need a course correction. We don't need a full rebuild, but we need a similar course correction to what Port Adelaide had. And then, so it might not be next year, but certainly the year after, I wouldn't be surprised and it could be next year, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see similar results from that course correction. 
Can we talk for a minute, though, okay. about the messaging and the coaching? Because John Worsfold, I will agree that he came in at a terrible time in the club. But up until even into this season, all we've heard from him is that, you know, pretty much using that supplements saga as what I would call an excuse and using that for a, you know, we've, we're still trying to get back on track and to have that same message rolled out week after week when you're into your fifth season and you're about to finish, I don't feel is good enough. I agree, but if you look at it a different way, what if, and, I, and this is what I think he was brought in for, he was brought in because the club was a shambles and he needed to reintegrate two groups and he needed to come in be, and be a level head through all the ups and downs that were going to happen. Now, if you come in and, you're, and you've been told by your boss, which I think is Xavier Campbell, that this is what we need from you, he has been so consistent across the... He's been so level-headed across the whole period, right? And now, th this is, again, why I think the football tr club's on the right trajectory, because Xavier Campbell would have realised that we needed stability from 2016 to now, Right? And he's created that stability, but he's also realised that John Worsfold is not the right coach to bring us the ultimate success. But what he, he's, he's succeeded in what he brought us in for, and now John Worsfold has actually done something very selfless. He's then allowed someone else to be the head coach. To If, if we'd succeeded, it would be Ben Rutten's a genius. And if we fail, like we have, it's John Worsfold is the worst coach ever, right? And... But he's been selfless, realising that that's going to be the case, and he's allowed a very smooth transition. He could have done what Malthouse did when they tried to do a handover for Buckley and cracked the shits and left and gone and coached someone else, but he didn't. He was really selfless, and he allowed that consistent message and that consistent handover to give these players the opportunity to go forward. Now, he leaves Essendon, and I don't think he's going to get the accolades that he deserves because I, from what I was saying before... I think he's set in place uh, the building blocks for a very good culture going forward, which then, if Ben Rutten succeeds, is going to be all about Ben Rutten and actually everyone's going to forget John Worsfold. But I think he's laid the foundations for then Ben Rutten to build upon. Look, I would ag agree with oh. you on um, John Worsfold. Like, I, I do think... He, he possibly has even been thrown under the bus a little bit by the club. And, look, Maddie, you were with me watching that last game and I did get very emotional watching all the players shake Wush's hand as Gee, they... That's, that's an understatement. Oh, well, I mean, look, I you, just You felt... dead set. You lost it. I, I did. I, I, couldn't I, was... see, I couldn't see your face through the camera from the tears on the camera. Well, yeah, I was really upset because I felt that in the last probably... The last half of this season, um, he did get thrown under the bus and he was copying a lot of the ire of the Essendon fans and the Essendon members, which he probably didn't deserve. But on the flip side, is it realistic or is it too ambitious to think that this that we could have gotten over the supplement saga a little bit sooner? Like maybe, you know, 2016, 2017, even into 2018. But, you know, five years later, we're still talking about it and still saying 
that this is the issue. It is, you know, only the biggest scandal in sports history and you're not going to get over it in two years of half your list getting suspended. Well, it's I've, just not realistic. I, I think I think we could have gone two ways, right? And and um, they they played a clip on the Lunchtime Catch-Up podcast, which if you're listening to this and enjoying this, then check them out because they do it much better than we do. Um, but they played a clip and I think it was by Jake Nile, but uh, have a listen to them. They'll They'll... That will be correct. I may be wrong. But he said Essendon had a, a period after the after the players were suspended that they could have gone one or two ways. They could have been incredibly ruthless and gotten rid of all those players and rebuilt at that point. Or they could have... They did what they did and essentially apologised to those players and gave them longer deals and um, gave them more leeway than they probably should have if, if they weren't in those circumstances, Right. Well, so, I don't know that, that they should have got less leeway than that. I mean, they were only in that position because of decisions that the club made. So that, you can't then turn around and after they've had all of this uncertainty and turmoil and say that, you know, we should have gotten rid of them. Well, I agree. And I think I think the club made the right choice, right? But whichever pathway you go down, you're going to end up somewhere around down the track of thinking that that's the wrong decision, Right. So right now, it looks like they should have been ruthless, rebuilt the club and, and built the list with all the young players to be a premiership contender. But the club decided that they wanted to look after the players that they'd wronged at the time. And so... That's because a, they would have no membership base yeah. if they went and did that. As like any employer should, that. you look after your employees. Well, exactly. Well, that's right. But but Essendon had this choice and they chose one direction. And, and so I think... That leaves us at the point we're at now where the culture is struggling a little bit because the players have called the shots for quite a while and they've been and, and the club's been almost an apologist to them and allowing them to get away with more and, and this is just looking at from the outside, this may not be true, but this is what it seems. That perhaps the club's allowed them to get away with a bit more than other clubs would have or had Essendon not had this big scandal. Who's even left from that now? Hurley, Hooker, Zaka. Zaka was there, but he wasn't. He wasn't involved. part of it, but he was there. But who? I feel. Hurley and Heppel. Heppel are the three left. Yes. I don't. Did Ambrose? Ambrose didn't get suspended. No, he, he no. came later. So it's it's a, it, yeah, a long I'll, bow to draw. I feel. What? Yeah. Well, I, I think. Sorry, you go. No, oh, you go. I was going to say, in, in terms of Wusha, um yeah, look, I think in regards to sports supplements, I think as long as any of those players are still on the list, it's going to be a factor. Um, that absolutely brought our clubs to its knees. So I don't think we can understate that. But I think in the case of Wusha, yeah, like you said, he absolutely gets a tick in my box. He he came in and did what he was supposed to do. That was steady the ship, um, be nice, you know, get us back on track, get us back to being a reputable club, which he absolutely did. Big tick to Wusha. Now, I think, you know, is it in Batman where, uh, what's the what's the quote? Um, you either die a hero you, or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And I, I think that was the case with Woosh. And you, you told about he did an absolutely selfless thing in um, allowing the integration of, of truck. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that's all that really, in my opinion, that's, as, uh, you know, that's all I've really got to say in regards to the, the Woosh comment. Um, Nick, if I can change the topic, um, we're talking about list changes. What 
changes would would you make or would, would anyone else make coming into this offseason? Looking before. Orazio out. Uh, Are you just yeah. saying that because he's he's appearing to want out, or is that based on? He hasn't played for three seasons. If we're not used to playing without him after he's barely played in three years, well then, what are we doing? He's he he may be part of our best twenty-two. But he hasn't played. Get him out. Get an early draft draft pick in. Get a kid in. Uh, go to Joey. Tell him, are you in or you're out? The sooner he tells us, the sooner we can start playing uh, either with him or without him. Controversially, without him. Um, Go for I, I would say Joe out because um, you just don't like him. No, I'm just sick of the the Joe Danaher show that I don't feel has really produced the results. And we're now the second year in of this talk of does he want to stay? Does he not want to stay? When the club has you know stood by him through how many are we up to? Essentially three seasons that he's missed with injury to then not repay that. I feel is you know, I don't feel like we need that kind of um, attitude around the club. Yeah, I think uh, I think he's he's talented enough that you you can't afford to just kick him out of the club. I think some players, unfortunately, are, are are that good at their best that they get a little bit more leeway than the others. But I think, but I but I feel that's unfair because you can't be. Just because you're talented, you still need to be a yeah. team player. And your best one in every four or five weeks is yeah, not okay. And, but Ooh. it's complicated because his body has let him down and the club's mismanaged him. And we talked about the curse of the crow earlier, but they certainly did not get his injury right and they really did him a disservice. But but how committed was he? Because and, the talk is also that he wasn't committed to the rehab. So I, I think he needs well, to take some responsibility there too. And, you know, football's not a socialist utopia. Not everyone's going to be treated equal. So that's just how the industry and, is. And so I think I think with players like like Joe, you do. You, you give him a little bit of leeway because he's he's actually the difference. He's a, game, he's a match winner. And how many other match winners do we have on our list? Probably Jake Stringer. They're the only two. Jake right? They're, they're the only two that are really... That's right, and he hasn't been able to get get on the path either. So I think you do the right thing. You give him a time. You say, look, we need a decision by whatever's appropriate for the club, whatever gives the club the right amount of time to to be able to do what they need to do to replace him if he goes. But you say, this is what we're offering you. This is where we're going. If you want to be part of it, great. If you don't, we're going to do our best to get you where you want to go. And so you can have the best career that you want for yourself. Um, same with anyone on the list at the moment. You say, if we're clear on the vision, which it seems from hearing Paul Brasher, we are very clear on our vision now. You say, this is where we're going. Anyone who wants to come along, get on board. Anyone else will help you get where you need to go. But it's not here. This isn't the place for you. But I'm yeah, well, using that's... action to back up his speech as well. Because it's all well, good we to do. say the right things, but, you know... Yeah, well, we all do. Yeah, uh, so um, it's just <laughs> the, the joys of uh, online podcasting, hey. But um, that's what I like from Paul Brasher. Just that that transparency. Like we have, con- you know, we've we've made contact with Donahue and Saad. We're going to get a result in the next few weeks. Fully transparent. Everyone knows what's going on. That's what I really liked. And really, liked. see, like you said, Laura, we need to see action. Um, and I think we will. I, I, I you, you could. I, I don't know. You could hear in his voice. He wasn't just. I, mean, I don't think he's a person to just talk the fluff. I think he'll he'll walk the walk as well. And 
the thing is that, I mean, you really get the sense that the football club's changed course because the messaging has changed. And I think this is intentional, right? I think we've seen that from Xavier Campbell. I think they, they've committed to a vision to this point, to the end of Woosh's tenure. And I think Woosh's job essentially was to cop the heat for the club for that period, right? That transition period and, and for... He, he never blamed the players. He never named them. He never... And, um, and I mean, the one time Xavier Campbell did, he had to come out and apologise to the group. But I think... I think that was intentional to this far. They've allowed them to, to learn and try and develop on their own, but I think that's changed. I think with Paul Brasher coming in, with the change to, to Rutten, and certainly in the messages from Xavier Campbell, the it, it's been a consistently ruthless message that this is this is the line in the sand, this is where we're changing, and this is the direction we're going. Yeah. Yeah, well, I hope to see it. I really do hope to see it, but... Um... Now, but the one I really don't want to lose is is Saad. I think he is probably our most important to keep. I think the rest, as good as they are, um, the free agents available, you know, obviously if Danaher walks, we can put in a good offer to Ben Brown or, or Jeremy Cameron. Um, but but Saadi, I think that's one we really don't want to lose. That is that is a, a good person, a, a genuinely good – I mean, they all are good people, but I think Saadi is such a, a positive influence on, on culture. Just – Never spoken to him, but this, that's just the vibe you get off him. But finding a uh, a defender who can both lock down and attack and run, um, you know, and and is a decent kick when he's afforded the opportunity, um, I think is is so valuable, so so valuable. So Sardi's definitely one I think we need to lock up. So it's uh, we're getting over an hour. It's been about an hour and fifteen now that we've been speaking, um. Obviously, we wanted to keep this nice and short. So what we're going to do is we'll... We, this is much longer than we thought we'd go. So let, let's cut it here tonight um, and we'll see how, how the feedback is for this episode. If you've liked what we've done, then um, then let us know. If you haven't liked it, what we've done, then don't listen. Um, and <laughs> we'll what we'll do is we'll, we'll release another one next week and we'll have a chat about where the list is at, what we need to do this off-season going forward. And... Um, well, thanks for thanks for joining me tonight, fam. Not that you're doing Massive. anything else. We're in Melbourne. No, a big thank you to you for uh, putting it on. A big thank you to our Don Father, if any. Yes, the Don Father. The Don. Well, not technically because I'm not your daughter, as we were mentioning earlier. So. You, the Don hey, Father is your father. Yeah, it's your Don father. father you yeah. know. Oh, sorry, sorry. I thought you. <laughs> I am not the Don Father. I thought you were calling yourself the Don Father. No, how dare you suggest such a thing? <laughs> well, okay. So, look, it took me over an hour to say something really, really stupid. Um, so there we go, guys. Alrighty, team. Thanks for joining us. 